0: Sunny 16 presents...
1: back everyone to another episode of the music and photography podcast i'm billy safford and today i'm excited to be talking to alex purcell hi alex hello billy how are you doing i'm doing great how are you yeah very good glad to be here (laughs) well i really appreciate you taking some time for me so my guess is a lot of people who are listening probably listen to a fair number of film photography podcasts but for anyone who may not be familiar with your resume uh see in your instagram bio you're a specialist in semi-wild scruffy pony portraiture is that right (laughs) yeah that seems to be how
0: it's gone i spent i I did spend a lot of time in my last job well for 14 years driving around west wales where there's a lot of Mm -hmm. just open kind of well moorland i suppose where there's just wild ponies running around I i can't drive past them i Kind of tend to stop and right. get a few snaps of them. So, looking back through my cloud storage, I realized there's probably more shots of scruffy ponies than <laughs> else. some of them I've seen multiple times over the years. You can recognize them from the markings.
1: <laughs> right. Well, I am just kidding. Of course, I'm. I'm sure people have heard you on Sunny Sixteen or Negative Positives or the Lensless Podcast or, of course, Sit and Whitewash uh, oh, yeah. that you and Neil Piper put together. And I'm constantly refreshing my feed, waiting for the 2023 episode to come out, <laughs> since we've gone annual now. Yeah. I'm <laughs> not sure if we did 21 or
0: 22. <laughs> there's some catching up to do, definitely. That's right. Yeah, I think it'll happen. I think we've both been adding notes to our sort of shared file for the show. So, yeah, it's not dead. It's It's still,
1: it's just a hiatus. (laughs) Well, awesome. I will look forward to that. But I thought maybe a way to get us kicked off was to talk about a different podcast episode that you appeared on. And, of course, this podcast, Music and Photography, goes out on the Sunny 16 Presents feed. And uh long time listeners of the feed or people who have gone back to the beginning will be aware that claire marie bailey who's a big fan of the cinema did a series uh called on film where she had chats with people about various movies that she enjoyed or her guests enjoyed and this was an episode that she did with you and graham where you discussed the 1962 movie carnival of souls yeah that's right (laughs) and uh, i mentioned this for a few reasons the first two is just to say claire where are you we miss you and we need some more of those episodes i really enjoyed those discussions and second was that since graham isn't here i thought i'd give you free reign to kind of talk some smack about his opinions on the movie because it (laughs) seemed like he you know had some criticisms that you and claire didn't share that's right he did didn't he And
0: yeah, I remember the next episode on the main show as well. He sort of had another go at the film (laughs) to defend it, which was mean. That's right. Yeah, no, I I don't think there's any convincing Graham. (laughs) But it's certainly not for everybody. Yeah, I think it is definitely divisive. (laughs) But no, I I really like that sort of homemade. Sort of style of filmmaking, I guess. Or not that I know that much about it. I, I haven't seen many films like that, but yeah, I don't. I think it's all about the atmosphere for that film. There's something sort of kind of magical about it. I think. Um, right. Where, but, but the sort of combination of the, the lead actress is it? Uh, oh, what's her name? Candice. Is it Candice? Can't remember now what her name was. She, I thought she was incredible. There are some pretty dodgy other bits of acting in the film. But uh, (laughs) I mean, lots of it is ropey. Right. I just think together, the whole thing is just fantastic. And and I think the fact that it came out of, oh, it was Herc Harvey, wasn't it, and his writer, just those two guys working on something just created something pretty much for themselves, I think, that uh, entertained them and and did it within three weeks. Right. Or the shooting was three weeks. Yeah, I don't know. I just think it wasn't kind of ruined by a committee. <laughs> it, would, it would have just been cancelled by a committee. But the fact that they, they just had this mad idea and did it, I
1: think it's, it's brilliant. That's right. Well, and so on a slightly more relevant note to our conversation, <laughs> uh, one of the things that came out of that chat that that I do have to give Graham credit for was that he made the observation that maybe the reason that more creative, artistically inclined people like you and Claire would get something out of that movie in particular was because it didn't sort of spoon feed you all of the exposition and the details and the story and and everything. It allowed the viewer to kind of add their own interpretations into some of the things that are happening in the movie and the rationale of the characters and that sort of thing. So the viewer gets to contribute something to the movie experience and i thought that was a good observation in general as it applies to that movie but then the more i thought about it i thought you know that can apply to our music and photography as well you know in different ways so for me just as an example in my photography i mean i think you know i went through these same sort of phases that that a lot of people go through you know i tried different genres i tried different films i tried different cameras just to get a sense of what i liked and i mean this was true in the very beginning of digital photography for me once i found what i liked i kind of stuck with that and when i got into film i kind of went through that same cycle of trying a bunch of different things just to find what i liked and most of the pictures i take are just pretty straightforward literal interpretations of the scene that I'm seeing but with film the part of it that's me that I enjoy that I get out of it is the developing of the film and then trying to make a darkroom print of it in the end so it's really that sort of sweat equity or the effort I'm putting into the process is what I'm adding to it for the enjoyment that I get out of it, I guess, so to speak. So what kind of, what are your general thoughts on just that theory in general, <laughs> I guess, it, in terms of being able to join, enjoy something more, if, if there's room left open for you to kind of yeah. uh, add your own mojo to it.
0: <laughs> yeah, no, I think that's, I, I suppose I hadn't really thought of it quite like that, but I just sort of racking my brain there, thinking, like, how, does, how does this apply to the music I like? But it really does. You know, I think David Bowie is a really good example of that, where mm-hmm. he'll use kind of quite random, or he certainly went through phases of using very random processes for creating lyrics, where mm-hmm. he would kind of cut up phrases and just you know, throw them on the table and just see what he could pick out. So he was kind of f- focusing on... A sort of feeling that he was getting from the words not necessarily literally what they said or it was kind of something else that it through a sort of oh, through this kind of random process it, it's sort of hinted at some other kind of world mm-hmm. um, which then you kind of run with then because yeah. there's not really enough to go on yeah so that is very similar i think to mm-hmm. something like carnival of souls where right. You've just got these kind of little ideas. Some of them amazingly well executed, and other bits which just didn't really work, or they didn't, you know, didn't have time for, or perhaps weren't thought through properly, or whatever. But I, things like that, don't spoil a film or a song. I'm not bothered that a large proportion of something doesn't work. If there's something fantastic in it, some little detail, then I'm kind of, I'll take that highlight as my. Uh, sort of, uh, that's what I judge it on, not on the worst bits, the, dump, the fact that it's not even dubbed correctly at the start. <laughs> the the, right. the you know, it's just all kind of smashed together. But, yeah, it's it just within that, Then there's sort of brilliant little bits and pieces. Like, yeah, I'm a huge fan of David Bowie, and obviously that's kind of very well produced as well on the whole. Right. But for the sort of randomness and the... Um, yeah, it doesn't have to make sense to be good or enjoyable. Or, <laughs> yeah.
1: Right. Well, what, one of the possible scenarios I thought, and there's a specific example of this I had in mind, but there's probably a lot of other ones as well. But, uh, you know, at one point in time, well, in general, what I'm going to ask about is, is making uh, homemade cameras. And in particular, you know, Sunny 16 did the day and tonight challenge and you built this camera that would take a four hour exposure and you went through all of the work to build this thing, even taking into account that, you know, you needed to let in more light as it got darker outside and you had this timing mechanism attached to it and you thought maybe the bomb squad was going to come pick it up or <laughs> whatever. <laughs> but I know you've built like a lot of, pinhole cameras as well. So I guess as it applies to adding your own personal investment into your photography, is that a part being able to think in your own mind, Hey, I built the camera that made this image. Does that add something extra to the process for you?
0: Yeah, definitely. I think there's something for me really appealing about getting good or interesting results out of crappy gear, whether that's really. It's, you know, terrible quality Russian cameras or plastic lens cameras or, you know, just basic cheap guitar equipment and, you know, (laughs) got lots of sort of budget gear. But then when it sounds amazing or you get some interesting image out of it, or you have to take that to the extreme of actually just making your, your own camera, then, yeah, I guess it's, you just feel... You know, Nikon didn't make the image, or Canon didn't, aren't uh, responsible. You, I'm not going to, I'm not relying on the Leica like look, whatever that And <laughs> never, quite, never quite identified that, but yeah, it's just really appealing then when it's just what you've done yourself out of things that you've got lying around the house to just make something up just on, uh, on a whim, just right. and with some gaffer tape and bits of foil and things. I've I've kind of always driven to do things like play guitar or develop film and build cameras. And that kind of, I'm just quite, I can't sit still very Mm -hmm. long. I I find it's not something I'd ever thought of until very recently, I've started to realize that most of my creativity goes way, way back to drawing. Um, right through my late late teens and twenties and wood carving. And oh, I'm trying to think now, guitar has been there f- from you know, very early, like when I was 11, but I've always had things that I'm kind of working on. Mm-hmm. I sort of thought that I was just quite creative um, right. and musical. And if I'm not kind of actively working on something, I'm usually humming or tapping my knees and kind of, but I, I think it's just, I'm kind of hyperactive. I can't It's it's more comfortable to be doing something than not so I tend to constantly be working on something and I I think that situation then of just because I'm actually doing something you can't help but get a bit better at it because you're doing it if you you know if you weren't doing it then I think I'm only kind of any good at these things that I do just because I'm kind of more comfortable doing something than not uh that's kind of I'm obviously I kind of I do like photography and I do like music as well but mm-hmm. uh, I think a large sort of engine behind that then is just I'd rather sit with the TV on scanning negatives and my guitar on my lap, playing guitar between uh, cutting the, the negatives and putting them away and things and, and playing guitar at the same time rather than just sitting there watching the TV. <laughs> an inability to sort of sit still. Which, right. um, yeah, that was kind of a weird thing to realise. Only in the last few weeks. <laughs> Actually, that's the one common thing that j- seems to join all this. Right. Um, yeah, and and I yeah I I love films. I yeah you know, I do mm-hmm. occasionally binge watch just oh, lots and lots of old films. But I've, I realized at the same time, just to, within the last couple of weeks, that I can't do that most of the time. I I just don't have the patience to sit down and watch a film. But I've realized all of the times that I've watched, you know, lots and lots of films. It's it's always when I'm ill. If I've got a flu or a cold or something like that, I'll sit there and watch film after film. But normally I can't can't kind of do that. But if I'm sort of knocked out by a temperature or something, I can stick like three-hour films on. (laughs) (laughs) Right. It's it's quite weird. But, yeah. Sorry, I've gone... On such a tangent, I don't know what we're talking about.
1: <laughs> no, it's a perfect answer. Cause that was one of the things I was going to ask you about, because I have noticed, you know, just to, through the other, when you've talked about these things before, or just a, even because you do post pictures on your Instagram of your guitars, of your cameras, of maybe effects pedals or, or different things that you are working on and, and just to ask if you were. If that was maybe even like a third thing for you, like music and photography, just working on things. And I know that, you know, you, you talked about your job driving around Wales, before, and and that job was mechanical in nature as well. So is that sort of, I don't know if you would call it a creative outlet, but it, you do get to see the results of the effort you put into working on something. Is, is that sort of a common thread amongst all of these things?
0: Yeah, I think so. I I think it comes back to ADHD, really. Mm -hmm. I think that's kind of given me my career. I don't think I don't I don't think I'd fit in in an office. (laughs) Just kind of go a bit mad and annoy everybody else. So um, yeah, I think that's just why I've ended up in a job where I I'm in a different place every couple of hours, driving around, fixing things, and then listening to podcasts in between. So. yeah, it all seems to come from the same brain wiring, really. It it's, you know, everything is very sort of tied up by that. Yeah, which is th- th- weird, really, because it, I, I knew I was dyslexic, kind of, since I was a kid, really. I was aware that there was a lot of dyslexia in the family, but I didn't know anything about ADHD at all. I just was aware, I kind of knew that, I thought that was just the hyperactive kid in school that I remembered, or that, you know, a couple of them over the years. And I didn't identify with that at all. I didn't think I was anything like that, really, because there was always seemed to be somebody more hyperactive than me. But it was just back in August. My my wife is a paediatric nurse and she's also got a degree in psychology. Mm-hmm. And uh, she's working on the house and she said she'd give me a hand for a, a day working on helping me install the kitchen. And she has said it before, years ago, but I just kind of laughed it off because I didn't know what she meant. Uh, <laughs> but while we were working on it, she was just watching the chaotic way that I was going from one thing to another and not really, I had no sort of executive function. I don't mm-hmm. have that kind of strategy going right. on. I can kind of organize things. I was kind of bouncing around from one job to another, getting in a bit of a mess as I always am. And she said, Oh, look, she said, I think you've got ADHD. I'm sure. I'm sure. Of it. And she, she really knows about these things. I thought, Oh, cause she's, the way she said it, I thought, Oh, hang on, she's not joking this time. I need to look into what that is, right? So I started looking into it. And I thought, Oh, yeah, 100%. Not just a bit. I'm kind of can't believe nobody said it for what she had said it before. I didn't listen because I, I didn't think I didn't understand what it was, but yeah, that's amazing, really, just to kind of get to 44, almost 45, and I'd realize it's kind of a major thing going on with you know what I'm interested in, how I deal with the world. It's so sort of fundamental to everything that I do and my uh, interest in things and Mm -hmm. how I engage with things. It's really definitely a big driver in all all of that, in all the things I enjoy and do and uh, struggle with. That's
1: right. We were talking just a little bit before we started recording about, we were both talking about learning to play guitar earlier in life and you get to a certain point and, you know, until you know, if you're in a vacuum doing this, you don't really have anything to gauge your progress. But once you kind of get to know other people who are going through the same process or or have gone through it, and you have sort of that sort of way to measure kind of, I guess, you and your process and your progress against somebody else's, and, and suddenly that can help things click. So I'm sure that as it applies to, like you just said, all of these things that you enjoy in life and having that little additional insight about you and the way that you're wired probably uh, can be a major shift in your approach.
0: (laughs) Yeah, I think so. And yeah, just understanding where sort of the weaknesses are and like not, it's not, yeah, just understanding why is just a great kind of, power in itself. And then you right. you can kind of look for ways around things that you're struggling with or mm-hmm. yeah. So that's, I think it's a huge benefit to, to understand these things. I, I think there's quite often people are sort of put off by labels. They think, oh, it's just, you know, it's an excuse for not doing certain things or right. behaving a certain way. Or I think that's so far from the truth. I think it's kind of the opposite really. I think actually identifying. You're something for what it really is, is the most powerful uh, route that you have to improve in. Once you kind of realise, oh, actually, uh, I didn't kind of miss all these appointments and uh, just the sort of disorganisation of, of it, really, uh, for right. lots of these kind of things, you, you don't, once you realise why, you think, okay, right, you don't need to kind of beat yourself up about it. You just need to come up with more thorough strategies than anybody else You. You, you've seen right um, you have to employ other ways of making sure that you don't mess up and uh, miss things so i think it's, it's really good for sort of self-esteem i think people should identify these things as early as possible not to kind of be told that well you've got this therefore you cut you're unlikely to achieve whatever it's just to stop you kind of struggling for so long and banging your head against a brick wall because it's going to be a struggle either way whether you identify it or not but if you identify it then you can work around it and work to your strengths better right absolutely yeah but yeah Um, (laughs) totally lost my thread (laughs) no it's that's a common thing as well that'll happen
1: (laughs) right no i i agree completely so we have one son and and this was something that we had him looked at for when he was much younger in school because he was You know, just so many sensory things, getting him to focus uh, on, on the schoolwork itself at the time, you know, we were trying to figure out how to best, you know, help him with that. And then, you know, he seems to be doing better now. He's in his second year of college and he's pole vaulting. And I don't know that this was in any way related, but if you've ever been to a track meet, there's usually like four or five different events going on at the same time you know there are people running around the track there's some people doing long jump some people doing high jump somebody's firing off their starter pistol so whenever i'm sitting up in the stands watching him about to make his approach and do his jump you know he's sitting there and he's waiting i think for as many for just a quiet moment when he can start his approach. Cause otherwise there's just all these different things going on, which yeah. I, I imagine is, is quite a challenge in that situation. If yeah. you're trying to keep your focus on, on, on flinging yourself 15 feet in the air. Yeah.
0: It was bad enough. Last week I went to see my uh, accountant and I'd never been there before. Only having started the business in November. Right. Uh, but the, my brother recommended this accountant and uh, it was just, the whole thing was quite comical, really. Finding the building, because mm-hmm. it didn't have the name on it. They had the previous company with the sign half falling off. Oh, on this no. <laughs> Really old building. Uh, and eventually he spotted a postman and he said, oh yeah, it's that brown, you know, really sort of mm-hmm. rough building. And I thought, oh, great. So I went in and the uh, the entrance hall, it was like a hotel, have you seen Forty Towers? Yes. And it was like that 1970s <laughs> wallpaper, mm-hmm. big floral prints. And this is like a, a, you know, an accountant's office. It just seemed really bizarrely unprofessional. There were fairy lights from Christmas <laughs> <half> falling <laughs> off the wall. Mm-hmm. Uh, boxes of papers and things at the, the stairs. All the staff were just looked quite scruffy. And they they said, Right, let's sit on the sofa, the guy'll be with you now. We came down and then we went into this front kind of drawing room with big Chesterfield sofas, crazy kind of wallpaper and everything looking a bit run down. We had to step over the Hoover, which had been left properly. up. <laughs> it was just like, oh my God, this is too much. And the guy's like trying to talk to me about uh, tax and uh, accounting and stuff like that. And I just had all this kind of busy, kind of crazy, distracting stuff where I thought, I, I can't organize anything, but I, I could do a makeover on this place. <laughs> I couldn't listen to what he was saying at all. It was just that that's bad enough. So, Having sort of people running around firing pistols and jumping in the <laughs> air around me and stuff, I i probably struggle with that. So, well.
1: <laughs> yeah. Well, it, it is. I, you know, just to your main point, I, I do think it's good. I mean, I mean, it's not good to have any challenges in life, but it is good to know if you do have them, so that you can work with how to function best with mm-hmm. within those. You know, whatever. Challenges or opportunities that might give to you yeah. in life. Yeah, it's not
0: the worst thing. I mean, God, some people have so much to deal with. Right. Yeah, you know, it's, it's, uh, there's a lot of worse things you could be dealing with. So, yeah, it just is what it is. It's, <laughs> uh, yeah, can't complain right. too much. That's but, right. Yeah. So that's, I think that's what's kind of definitely been the kind of engine behind my, Behind playing music, certainly, Mm -hmm. yeah, which has mostly been guitar, but I've kind of dabbled with drums and things as well in the past. But yeah,
1: really, ninety nine percent guitar, mean really. Okay, so yeah, getting back onto the sort of the music and photography topic. So when I very first had this idea. To do a series of chats with people about music and photography, I, I ran it by a few people just to get their thoughts on whether or not this was even like really a thing. <laughs> yeah. And and you were one of those people because I knew you had an interest in both of these, and you were the first person who, you know, in my mind, I was I was focused on these things as activities in and of themselves, and you were the first person to mention what should have been a very obvious. Area where these things cross over, and that was in gear, right? And and this is a thing that has come up, you know, in in several of these conversations. And I think it's a, and I don't know. I was I'm I'm curious to get your thoughts on all the different aspects that that entails gear as it relates to music and photography yeah. I'm, a, I'm aware you know in both worlds i think there are people that are collectors you know and maybe it's based on the value or maybe you know it's you know a historically significant camera or historically significant guitar for example whether or not it's valuable uh, some people just appreciate the fine craftsmanship involved in some of these older machines and stuff like that. Um some people just like a new toy to play with. <laughs> yeah. You know, I, I'm sure there's all sorts of different or or that people fall into all sorts of different camps as it relates to gear associated with music and photography. And it's, you know, on the photography side, it's not just cameras, it's lenses. It's it, it can be anything. It can be tripods or filters or camera bags like <laughs> yeah that sort of thing and then then of course on the music side even if we're just talking about guitar there are the effects pedals and strings and amplifiers and and all of these different things i I mean kind of what what are some of your observations on the gear aspects of these activities over the years
0: yeah i think the parallels for me with the gear and the the in photography and music, I, I can see great similarities between the gear that I use for both mm-hmm. in that they're sort of functional, basic, kind of affordable. Uh, right. It's that sort of end of the musical instruments that I've always uh, used. And the same for guitars. I've never really had a lot of money to throw at, um, you know, expensive cameras, amps, whatever. So yeah, it's just that thing of getting you know, decent results from, from something kind of basic or, and I think that the musicians that I'm inspired by, were using really old technologies, old valve amps, and it just, all of the gear is quite basic. Like people now are so obsessive about fine, tiny little details. Like if you look at guitar leads, they kind of go on about the, the gold plated jack plug and the oxygen free leads. And you just think, well, I'm sure Hendrix didn't have oxygen-free leads and they were probably like a hundred foot long. So losing masses of treble and output just from the resistance from the cable. But there's this kind of obsession that's like, no, oh, it's got to be the best. It's got to be direct. Like, you know, and I think something on paper can be, you know, technically better in some, but like lenses, you know, the, the probably the best lens I own technically is probably my iPhone lens. (laughs) It's just (laughs) great, you know, brilliant. It's sharp, you know, into the corners and doesn't vignette noticeably. And it is amazing. Obviously it is kind of quite remarkable that what they've done there, but it's all the character and everything is just lost with that kind of, by pushing the kind of technical kind of, uh, no, that's not a word. Yes, it's better in some, in all the ways you can measure for lots of these things. Okay, the iPhone is kind of a different example, really. But I think you're throwing a lot away mm-hmm. then by, you know, you're just taking away all the character of old amps and yet you can get your modern digital amps that emulate the old sounds. But I don't know, I think... There's something, even if you can't tell the difference, I think you could have the, I think it's a Kemper or one of these sort of very sort of modern apps that is an emulation of any kind of old type sound. I think for me, I don't doubt that they're brilliant and that they actually do a great job of reproducing that some of those old kind of tones. And if I was put to the test, I probably couldn't pick it out if somebody was playing them to me. But just for my own enjoyment, I I quite like plugging into a single-channel valve amp and, uh, you know, hearing th- that sort of real sound. It, it, it's just, it's not necessarily, I'm not saying it's better than any right. sort of digital emulation, because <laughs> like the same as photography, you can apply filters to things that look absolutely stunning and look just like film. And I wouldn't, you know, I wouldn't know the difference, but I don't like the, the digital process. Right. The sort of tactile kind of bit with the hardware of, you know, very sort of modern technical kind of guitars or, or something like my Telecaster, you know, Esquire Telecaster, quite cheap one. But that's a 1950s design that's remained kind of unchanged. And it's just, it's just brilliant. It's incredible that it was just, they hit the nail on the head. I and mean, it's it's a, The Stratocaster was uh, a refinement and quite different, I suppose, but much more comfortable and a more advanced kind of guitar. But uh, Leo Fender was just a total genius, really, to have produced something in the 50s that still, I think every guitar manufacturer produces a Strat-shaped guitar and a Telecaster-shaped guitar. Every brand will do their own version of those because they just were brilliant and worked really well. So uh, the whether it's a, a valve amp or a very basic guitar or a mechanical camera it's that there's something really pleasing about that simple process i'm not against digital uh, it's it's brilliant i mean i'm talking to you now this is all <laughs> digital this is great right uh, it's and actually you know i think all most you know, all of my analog photography is ultimately a hybrid, anyway. So you know, I'm I'm scanning negatives and removing cat hair or whatever that I've got stuck to the uh, <laughs> the negatives. So yeah, no, it's, the digital side digital side of it makes things easier and is is fantastic. But certainly for what the hands on side of it, I mm-hmm. I haven't got any time for cameras that are like. A frustrating computer we've got buttons and menus and things to scroll through that seem to just get in the way of taking the photo i think i just can't cope <laughs> with cameras like that yeah when the yeah the basic thing is just quite easy you yeah, know there's not, not <laughs> there's, there's not much to control with the cameras it? it's just shutter speed aperture focus and you know and then yeah i mean you've got all those variables then in developing and what iso you choose or what you choose to rate it at because so you are kind of committing yourself to a particular development type when you start the role um or yeah while you're shooting it but i find that much easier but yeah i think for the, the parallel with the gear is you know, i can certainly see it it's just the simplicity of what was created in the last century it's right. just the, that that Technology and that sort of experience of using it was just nailed. I think for cameras and certainly electric guitars. I agree. Um,
1: it, it stood the test of time.
0: Yeah, I think it will be you know around forever. You know, I think people will always be listening to those recordings that were created through the '40s and '50s right. um, and '60s. But of course, yeah, well, all of it really, I suppose. Um, it's Yeah, incredible. Chuck Berry is now leaving the solar system on uh, the (laughs) Voyager. That's right. That'll be available for millions of years, probably to somebody somewhere. (laughs) That's right.
1: Well, and and so you just talked about emulators and how brilliant they are these days. They, you know, yeah, digitally you can mimic pretty much anything, And, and maybe even in film photography. There are people who are really great at post processing, and you know they could make it almost wouldn't matter what emulsion they use. They can tweak it to make it look how, however, they want to. And uh, you know, going back to before we started recording, we were talking about you know the different tones in guitars, and and maybe thinking what guitar had produced that, but it turned out it was another. Um, yeah. So I I guess where I'm going with it as it relates to all this gear talk is to say, you know, you can use different gear to achieve similar results, but do you feel like there is something also to the argument that, you know, maybe playing a different guitar will affect how you play? Maybe the... Thickness of the neck, or the shape of the neck, or with cameras, you know, will will you approach a subject matter differently with an SLR than you might with a rangefinder or large format or something like that? But, you know, as so, setting aside the end results for just a second, does your yeah you know, the impact of gear on your technique? I guess yeah,
0: definitely for guitar, like things like the uh, the radius, the curve of the fretboard, mm-hmm. certainly with the older guitars tends to be a smaller radius, you've got more of a curve, and just bending a note, a whole tone further up the neck because it's crossing a curved surface, it'll actually deaden the resonating of the string if you bend it. You, know, you are quite limited in some spots on the, the fretboard, whereas a more modern type Ibanez or one of the more modern style, faster guitars have a much flatter fingerboard. So you can bend any string, any amount really, and it won't, it'll ring true. So yes, if you're going to play that sort of shredding style of music, then you're going to struggle on my Telecaster. Yeah, that hasn't been a problem for me. I can't <laughs> can't really do that anyway. <laughs> but yeah, and I think for for photography, I've definitely, you know, how you approach and what you can take as well, I think, it, Varies massively. I I really enjoy using a TLR, mm. and it, you know more and more. I'm, I'm kind of well. I was I was given a a recently, so that's amazing. But I already was really enjoying my Yashica uh, as a Yashica mat. So it's kind of you know at a distance, it looks just like a Rolleiflex, which is brilliant because I'd had a couple of weird experiences out with cameras just around West Wales where. Uh, it happened only twice really, but it did kind of knock me where I just kind of got a camera out in public and somebody took offence or thought I wasn't allowed perhaps to take a photo in public. And I, think I may have mentioned this before on something, but I remember something sat in my van I had to wait for half an hour for a customer. And at the time I was trying to get a, a sort of intuitive understanding of light levels and just kind of thinking about the sixteen rule and trying to... Hone my skills at guessing what your know, aperture and shutter speed I'd use at a at a you know whatever ISO. It's pretty easy to do because there's only a handful of light levels really that you typically deal with. So it's it's either you know overcast, hazy sun, or bright sun. Usually, or you, you can kind of and the the light level doubles with each. So you can be pretty bang on with guesswork. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I just thought I was probably like F8, uh, whatever, uh, 125th, I just guessed, sat in my van. So I thought oh, I'd get my camera out of the bag, which is always with me. Got out, put it up to my eye just to look through and see what the camera thought it was. And just as I thought, oh, yeah, I got it bang on, some guy started shouting at me through the window of the van, shouting, <laughs> why are you taking pictures? Why are you photographing cars on my street? And he was going really, he was already mm-hmm. unbelievably angry. And... I thought, like, how am I going to explain to him that I'm trying to <laughs> de- get, develop a, an understanding of it? I, I right. just kind of laughed in the end, I said, this is a film camera, you know, I'm not taking pictures, of, even though it looked like I was taking a picture of the car in front of me, I wasn't. Right. But I said, if I was up to anything, I'd just use my phone and you wouldn't know about it. <laughs> so I tried to explain to him, I do not think he knew what a film camera was, and he, he went away and I was just left shocked, thinking, God, that guy, was, he was so just unbelievably angry right and so i would had a similar not not exactly the same, not quite as weird but i had somebody else kind of get a bit uh arsey about me taking a picture just you know just taking a picture of a building and somebody the, the the other side of the road and they're like why are you taking pictures of me right and that really knocked me so i kind of lost my confidence to take pictures out and about but if there's anybody around i'd think oh god are they gonna have a problem with me i shouldn't have let it bother me so much but i don't know i just it did but I think it's the thing of putting picking an SLR up and putting it to your face. It's like holding a gun yeah, at somebody. It's it you're cov- you're covering your face, and they don't know. It might be the most modern. It could be the the government might have given me this camera to, get the to record them, <laughs> them and they you know if they're, I don't know. But nobody's ever gonna get upset about you getting a TLR out on right. the street. I really think just because your whole posture is different. It, and just even if they look at the camera, they're just gonna think like, it kind of looks adorable. Mm-hmm. It's, it's clearly not a threat to them. You're not there on any sort of official business. You're just a bit odd at, right. at, you know, <laughs> at the worst. You kind of, from the past maybe. Right. Or but it, it just, every time I've taken the TLR out in public, it's it just led to nice conversations with people, you know, who are just genuinely interested. Right. Either they, either they're like, "Wow, you know, my 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 dad had one of those," or they they're baffled and think, "Well, does it take color?" And you know, they look at, <laughs> look show them in the view like, "Oh, look, it's color there," but what what do you mean you're taking black and white? You can, yeah. So I just have nice interactions with people with the TLR. Right. So yeah, I think I've just I really enjoy it's yeah it's that sort of anxiety really of having mm-hmm. that confrontation with somebody it just isn't there with a TLR. So that's, that's amazing. So I can just quite comfortably wander around and yeah, shoot with them. Right. Yeah.
1: Yeah. I understand that. That is one of the great things about TLRs. And even though I don't do a lot of portrait work myself, I think it is good that you can sort of maintain that eye contact. You know, if you are doing portraits, for example, yeah, I'm not and, great with portraits, but no, <laughs> me neither. Although you do, uh, you know, I'm glad you mentioned the Rolleiflex because one of the things that you do share a lot of pictures of uh, is your family, and I'm always happy to see those because that's great. I mean, you're documenting your life, which is, you know, I, I can't think of a better thing for us to do with our photography. And yeah. some of some of those initial Rolleiflex images uh, were family shots. Uh, but just in turn, you know, that was, you're still early on and, and you, you know, you mentioned that it that ultimately you were probably going to feel like, you know, the craftsmanship of the Roloflex was maybe a little bit better than the Yashica. But otherwise, I mean, ha- have you been able to shoot with it anymore and come to any more conclusions, I guess, since then? you Functionally, I think it's... It's kind of the
0: same. It is pretty, it's slightly brighter viewfinder with the mm-hmm. roller Not that the Yoshika is a dark uh, ground glass at all. It's, it's perfectly adequate. It's just side by side looking at them. I was surprised that the was um was much brighter, but it is noticeably, mm-hmm. which is nice because my eyesight isn't fantastic anymore. But yeah, using them, I guess I'm a little, I didn't worry about the Yoshika. I'd kind of take it anywhere. I wasn't, I'm a little bit more Precious now about this roller flags. I think I can't afford to replace it. It is. <laughs> right. uh, if something happened to it, I'd be, yeah, it, that would be, well, no, I would I'd get repaired or whatever, but it is, having said that, it's gone everywhere with me. It, right. So it's not stopping me. It's taking it out. Although I, the last time we went for a meetup in Oxford, I, I walked into a lamppost with my u <laughs> oh, <Ushita no. laughs> And bent the um, shutter speed dial. Mm to a point where it wouldn't work i could only get selected sort of two shots oh, no. two apps maybe was. Okay. so yeah god i don't want to do that with this yeah but um <laughs> yeah no so using them yeah it's it's yeah it, they, they're just functionally they really are the same the, the feel and the build quality is really noticeably different mm. um just the way everything fits together the the i've got a, a close-up blends for it and just the precision of how everything's made it's just mind-blowing i don't think i've ever owned anything as as nicely made as this i think right. wow this is clearly like way out of my league
1: really but <laughs> it's great <laughs> right yeah. and the other sort of little thing that maybe people don't think about right off the difference between a tlr and an slr is you know is It we're so used to seeing images that are made, you know, we would say six feet off the ground or two meters, maybe. Yeah. And 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 if you are walking around with a TLR and it's hung, you know, belly high or whatever, you're going to get a slightly different perspective. And maybe that will help give your images a slightly different look just because of that change in perspective. Yeah, definitely.
0: I think. Yeah. And being able to get right down to the floor comfortably, take shots from the floor with the TLI is fantastic as well. Cause you're not, you know, lying down with your chin on. The <laughs> trying to <laughs> Yeah, that's great. And then you can hold it above your head as well. And you've got lots of options for interesting angles and, or oh, with the uh, Yashica many times I've been driving along and then held it at 90 degrees, parked mm-hmm. was stationary in the van, but then <laughs> held it at 90 degrees and taken shots from the van or, All right. yeah, that's quite, quite cool to get that different view on things. Yeah, I suppose my first tiara was a, a lubatel which was a horrible camera. <laughs> it, it's awful plastic that just it wants to break. And the, the angle of view, because it's not a, a ground glass, there's a tiny patch of ground glass for focusing, but it's just a, a brilliant finder. And you've got basically about five degrees that you can view the image, and if you're slightly off, it's just completely black. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So it's incredibly frustrating when you're trying to line your head up with the the one spot that that you can see anything and point it at frame something <laughs> interestingly. So I just found it unbearable to use, but. Yeah, taking photos of the kids with that was really difficult because there was just too many things to try and line up in one go. But the Yashica then got easier because you don't—it doesn't matter what angle you view the ground glass from; it's going to look okay or a, a lot wider angle. So, yeah, I mean, it's kind of hard to focus occasionally. You've got the little flip-up magnifier, so you can hold it up close to your eye. Caption the kids, especially when. They were younger, and every time we got the camera out, they just go, "Ah, oh, i just run towards you." So right. You say, "Oh, no, you can't." Yeah, now no, they're a bit older. They're not running. They don't run towards me anymore. Right, they just kind of look at me from a distance.
1: It's Much easier to photograph. That's right. So we've mentioned Wales a couple of times, and the fact that you've driven quite over quite a bit of it. Yeah, <laughs> and and this is sort of a weird turn of events i think because i'm not very far into the series and i've talked to three people in wales so i think Mm -hmm. i'm up to like 12 12 and a half percent of of the people i talked to have have been in wales that's not bad for three million of us or whatever it is It's (laughs) not (laughs) many. that's right so claire of course is up in anglesey and i talked to molly kate and she's not from there but she's living in cardiff and and now you Mm -hmm. right so that's a pretty good bit of coverage too, right? From yeah. north to south and east to west. Yeah, not many people live in the middle, so it's, you, yes. you struggle to find anybody there. <laughs> <laughs> so, the, But where I was going to go with all of this was to say, you know, when we first got on this call, we were talking about our weather, as, as people do when they start a conversation. You know, I was thinking back, of course, grunge in the 90s from Seattle was a, you know, an important musical time for me. And, and part of that whole mystique, I think that they... It, you know, I don't know if they perpetuated it. I think some people had the theory, well, you know, right, Seattle is such a rainy, drizzly city. Those people are up there. They don't have anything better to do with their time but to come up with this depressing music. <laughs> yeah. And so we were talking, like I said, when we got on this call and and you were mentioning kind of, you know, n- neither of us live in the tropics. <laughs> And so, you know, those winter months can get dull and gray and cold and drizzly. I mean, just, I didn't know if, do you feel like growing up and living there has an influence on on your music or your photography or both? Does, you know, does that foster a love for black and white maybe versus oversaturated colors? And yeah, I <laughs> And I don't know what be. the musical influence might be.
0: Yeah, well, no, certainly, you know, early '90s grunge was you know massive for right. me as well. I mean, on on from there as well. So, yeah, I'm sure. Yeah, black and white really does fit well with the kind of landscapes that are you know I'm surrounded by, and the yeah, there's not an awful lot of sun. <laughs> so you, can, I think you can do a lot with black and white, mm-hmm. even if it's you know cloudy and. When I first started shooting, I th- I got into photography when I was about nineteen twenty, I think, around that sort of age. So quite late, really, considering, I don't know, I think a lot, of, I, th- I don't know, most people I think seem to have got into it a bit younger than that. I just, it was something that my dad and my brother, my brother did photography in college. He's three years older than me. So it, I kind of felt like it was his thing. And, you know, I just stuck to music and whatever else. But he then got into playing bass. mm mm-hmm so yeah i don't know i think i didn't kind of i got i was very into going out walking and there's lots of amazing waterfalls not far from here the neath valley in particular is really well known for um really impressive waterfalls because it's a glacial valley so i was going out to these places all the time and i think this is comes back to adhd it was dopamine mining where right? I needed novelty. And I was constantly, every available minute, I'd always be out in the car exploring new places and or finding places that i visited as a kid. And there's so many amazing castles and places to visit that my parents would take me to when I was really young and I would kind of vague memories of. But then in my 20s, I thought, right, I've got to go out and just keep finding all these places. Yeah, searching for that kind of novelty, really, of new waterfall walks and stuff like that that's where the photography came in then because I thought you know I really wanted to kind of capture what I was seeing and I was really into drawing at the time so I yeah I'd started kind of trying to draw and and paint things but that's kind of Mm -hmm. didn't kind of work out too well but anyway my my dad said oh you know he's got this I can't remember what it was now some camera that he had I picked up and then I picked up some 60s uh viewfinder little 35 mil cameras. I can't remember the name of it. Uh the first one from a car boot sale. Car boot sales here were really big then. I don't they don't seem to be such a big thing now. But back then there was just loads and loads of old photographic gear. Cause it was sort of before eBay and things. I think now a lot of that gets just like the charity shops, they tend to put them on their online stores rather than leave cameras and things in in the shops. They kind of think every nineties piece of crap plastic camera. They think it's really valuable because it's <laughs> a film camera. So you don't see so much of it, but yeah. So I went through a series of simple, old, pretty originally quite cheap cameras, and then uh, yeah, it just sort of spiraled from there. I got started taking long exposure shots of the waterfalls, of course, mm-hmm. uh, and getting into doing bits of night photography. But I wasn't developing then. It was all I was. I was always buying Fuji Superior. 200 or, or 400 I just got it in my head that that was the best film around I don't know why I think I'd been told that it was what was available and it was quite cheap there was a shop called seven day shop which is based in the channel islands I think and it was really cheap it's like two or three pounds for a roll so I just order it from there and shoot away and get them developed in the lo- the local shop and yeah I I can't, I can't stand that film now I look back at it and it's it's got an amazing range of greens, which is why I thought it was great. Because mm-hmm. it's it's you can really see different tones, and for what I was shooting, which is kind of landscaping type stuff, it seemed I just thought that was the best thing around. And then, yeah, I remember quite a few years later seeing uh, I shot of a, a roll of Kodak Gold, and I was just blown away by uh, the colors. Were quite simple, really, and they're quite overly saturated and they didn't have the differences in colors so much that you'd see with the the Fuji film right. but I absolutely loved it it just looked so retro and uh nostalgic you know you can right. just kind of little snaps you take now and I would think oh god these are like really lovely shots from the 80s that mm-hmm. it had that sort of kind of look to it that I, I really liked can't I was going with that at all. <laughs> um, well, just the influence of the oh, in, environment. That's right. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, it was very much the environment came first. That's what I was... Oh, that's another thing. It, the This is a really um, big coal mining, or was, okay. uh, coal mining area. So I was forever walking up in the hills, up the valleys, just here, the Swansea and the Neath Valley. It was just filled with with coal mines, you know, 100 years ago, or less than that, really. And there's loads of ruins all in the woods uh, on the, the hillsides. And they're just amazing. Open, you know, mine shafts, you can just wander down into them because they're all kind of drifting in at a quite a shallow angle from the hillside. Right. So I love stuff like that, just going, if there's a hole in the ground, I'm going to go down and explore in it. <laughs> so, yeah, and just the falling down buildings and things that were probably used up until the late 80s, lots of them. But it doesn't take long for nature to kind of creep in and start making everything look more interesting so yeah that then that was the the spark Then that I thought oh this is just looks incredible and so I wanted to start capturing that with yeah photography then so that's kind of what led me into it was the yeah okay. just broken broken stuff in the
1: rain <laughs> right yeah no yeah. I can understand that and I think you know just so I, I threw out the Seattle and the rain and the depressing music example. I think, in my own personal example of this, I think, you know, where I live is in the Southeastern United States, country music is very big, bluegrass music is big. I, I mean, those were not my favorite types of music when I was growing up. I've grown to appreciate them more as I've gotten Me older. Too. Uh, but folk music, you know, a lot of these use acoustic instruments. And I think now. I I mean, when I first started, wanted to start to learn to play guitar, I bought an acoustic. And I thought, you know, there was a practical reason, right? Because it's sort of a self-contained musical instrument. You don't need electricity. You don't need an app. You can take it with you anywhere out in the woods or whatever and play if that's what you're inclined to do. But I, I, I do think, you know, just because of where I'm from, that sound of an acoustic guitar really speaks to me on, on some other level I, I love you know guitar electric guitar heavy rock and roll too of course but there is that something uh that that resonates with me pardon the pun about an acoustic guitar I, I don't know is is there anything particularly welsh in your musical influences either culturally or or was it or was it all just what you enjoyed either watching on MTV or hearing on the radio growing up and that that sort of shaped your musical influences?
0: When uh, right around the time I started playing guitar, there was a local band called uh, a Welsh rock band who had sort of national success mm-hmm. to a very small level, I think, called right. The Alarm. They okay. were they were um I remember I was really enjoying one of their albums right at the time so I think they were they were definitely I was inspired by what they were doing when they sang about uh you know the coal mines and the kind mm-hmm. of the social kind of issues that are affecting South Wales particularly they you know I think they were a great band really for what they were and I think they mocked slightly <laughs> but Oh, I can't remember the guy's name now, but uh, yeah, no, the alarm—they were great. Uh, yeah, I think mm-hmm. they were quite quite interesting, really. Especially me being like 10, 11 years old. I was—I thought they just sounded incredible. Right. Uh, so yeah, they—I think they were, but but really, I think more than that, I, I was already really like loving music before that. Anyway, so before I started playing, my influences were—I kind of well when I first started to kind of. Get into music and kind of ask my parents for like you know I went, I went to music. It was classical that I got into. Okay. Uh, I don't I don't really know why, but I really really loved classical music. And because my my parents were just weren't very musical at all, so we didn't have a lot of music at, at home when I was you know that age. But then you, at the time, petrol stations would do like compilation tapes of different right kind of yeah classical music and things. So people tended to have these in the car because they got it free with a gallon of fuel or whatever. (laughs) So between my parents and then their sort of close friends, I ended up, people would be like, oh, okay, I've got this classical cassette or whatever. It would have been cassettes. Uh, So I ended up with quite a few albums of classical music, which I was really, really loving for a while. And then I kind of discovered the Beatles. Mm -hmm. I was aware of them before that. Right, Uh, but something changed, and uh, you know this is mid to late eighties, really, well late later eighties, I suppose. But I was, you know, twenty years too late, really, to be listening to the to the Beatles. But as a yeah mid mid eighties, really, yeah, I was listening to like early Beatles stuff. I remember going to the local supermarket where they had a small music section and nagging my mum for this compilation of the Beatles, and uh, I listened to that to death. And then got the part one because that was the part two. Right. Um, It was the only one that was available. (laughs) And then got the part one, Beatles rock and roll music. And that was all their early stuff. And it was the only, the first thing that inspired me to play anything at all was Love Me Do. Okay. Uh, The harmonica solo. Mm -hmm. I I didn't, I hadn't considered playing guitar, I didn't have any interest in it. Friends of my dad's had got, given me a violin because I was showing interest in classical music and they had one. They had older kids that had grown up and moved out and they had a, this violin under the bed and, and they just dug it out and said, oh, you know, if you're interested, there you go. I did try it, but I didn't know where to start with it really. But anyway, the, I remember listening to the Beatles and the harmonica solo in Love Me Do, I was just blown away by it. I just thought, oh, I want. I think I could do that. I want, to, you know, I want to have a go at that. So I was asking my mum for a harmonica for Christmas and that Christmas, they got me a guitar. Mm-hmm. And I was just kind of baffled. I did have a harmonica as well. And to this day, I still can't play a harmonica. It's it, it's, it's really... I've tried, but right. I kind of struggled to get on with it. But yeah, I kind of got the guitar. I was like, oh, why did they bought me a guitar? I just didn't kind of understand it. But it hung around for a while. And then I just, yeah, took to it. And then... I suppose it was just there and the, we didn't have all the other distractions. I think now it probably wouldn't have happened because you've got so many other things that you've, you've got, you know, you've got everything to take your attention. I think kids now, it must be, as much as the internet and things is a source of information, which would have been amazing learning. Absolutely. Um, but I think it's it undermines their... Yeah, I think you need to be bored. And it, <laughs> that, that's that's really... It's a good process, you know, I think. I agree. Um, yeah. I, I don't know. I'm not sure what's best. And I probably <laughs> just sound like, I'm, I'm obviously I'm going to be an old fart <laughs> if I'm not there already. So, yeah. I, I don't know. I think I, I love using like YouTube and Instagram things like that for picking up guitar right te- techniques and just the the sort of bite-sized lessons on scales and things like that. I think they're just incredible. I've learned a lot. Of from that, but uh, just having uh, in my teens when I lived out the other five miles outside Swansea, quite far from the rest of my friends, a few miles from the school I went to. You know, in the evenings it was just either talk to my parents or just be playing guitar for hours and hours, an hour before school, and then probably you know four or five hours in the evening as well. Right. So that was that. Really, not having anything else to do. Really was. Uh, <laughs> really sort of pushed me along to an extent but yeah like we were saying earlier Mm -hmm. i didn't didn't because i wasn't listening to joe satriani or steve Vai or anything like that that kind of music just left me cold Um, i liked the sex pistols and the ramones and black sabbath Mm -hmm. and quite basic stuff and the 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 older rock and roll stuff as well like um, chuck berry and eddie cochran and carl perkins and people like that wasn't that technical, although I pr- actually I probably struggled to play a lot of what they played now, but I could sound a bit like it quite easily. And right. Nirvana as well, when Nirvana came along, of course, I could right. play, you know, you, you can play most of their songs or <laughs> possibly, you know, right. pretty easily. And uh, I'm sure that uh, I'm still not playing them right now when I play them, but um,
1: well, it's close, so- it close yeah. enough for me. Yeah, their solos are certainly not a million notes a minute. No. Yeah. That's the first solo. I learned his
0: entirety was Smazutine Spirit. It's like I don't know, like six notes all together very slowly played. It's like I can play a solo. That's (laughs) right.
1: And 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 just circling back to what you said, I mean it does sound funny to say or or like a old fart thing to say that you need to be bored, but I, I you know, and I and and who knows, you know, these The kids that are growing up with all of the technology these days, you know, who knows what, you know, they'll look back on in 20 years uh, for their memories, you know, of their teenage years and what that was like. For me, what you said made perfect sense. You know, if you when you had to, you know, when you a cassette is is linear, right? I mean, they made some tape decks that would sort of fast forward to the next song, but it wasn't a perfect science, right? (laughs) And and I think the most typical experience was just listening to it, you know, beginning to end on one side, flip it over, beginning to end on the next side. Same thing, but at least that was portable. You know, you could take a cassette with you, but listening to an album required the dedication to just, sit there <laughs> yeah. and, and listen and that's not you know not a thing that people do as much these days no and so i can and plus you're just bombarded you know constantly with your cell phone going off or you know all of these different uh things like we talked about before to just sit and focus on listening to some music and photography was probably even more so because, you know, the the photography you had in your home was the family photo albums. But to see, like, Ansel Adams' work or people like that, you actually had to go out to, I don't know where, a museum or, <laughs> or have yeah. access to encyclopedias or something, I guess. I don't know. You couldn't just, you know, look at famous photography just on your phone and, and yeah. scroll through a hundred images in a minute like we can now yeah so i'm not bashing these kids today and their technology but i do think you know the era we grew up in where you you had to make more of an investment to appreciate these things and and part of it and, and there were fewer options of things you could be doing Uh, With your time, I think both of those kind of, you know, made our experience what it was and and does make me curious about what these kids who are growing up in today's age with all of the options that they have available to them. You know, uh, will there be those special, meaningful songs for them the way that, you know, me and my friends... You know, when we we first got our driver's license and we would be driving around the streets, you know, and we had our mixtape and there was, you know, 10 songs that are a core part of the soundtrack of my life from that time versus somebody today with a Spotify playlist, you know, where they may not hear the same song (laughs) twice the majority of the time. I, I don't even know how all of that works. I don't know but what, i think what... i think the album has
0: suffered because we would stick an album on and be driving around but but no i think people are just as excited about new music now as as we were but i think they they do access it in a very different way but I, yeah i think i i just know that you know people in their you know, my age in the mid forties. Back when the Beatles were coming out, they were saying, "Oh, this is just you know a flash in the pan. It's just it's just noise. I can't even understand what they're saying." All the things that we kind of inevitably repeat as we get older because we just <laughs> don't understand what younger people are doing. That right. that is such a constant. If you go, uh, I was listening to some podcast about uh, this very thing. I think it was. Um, Build for tomorrow. It's called. It used to be called Pessimist archive. It's a fantastic podcast about okay. progress and how how leaps forward were viewed years ago. And so they go through media reports about the start of the car or the pinball machines or the beginnings of coffee houses and things. And how there's so much moral panic about how this is the end of society and how it's corrupting people. <laughs> and and then you look, you know, you just they don't know what's what's coming. You can see they're just sort of resisting change and they don't see the kind of advantage of, you know, of these, of these things, Okay, not all progress has been positive, of course. But yeah, in that, they were talking about eight, 800 years ago, Chaucer, mm-hmm. writing about the youth of today being disrespectful <laughs> to their elders and kind of they've got no tension span and all the things that we say now that it seems to be this new, different thing about the um, how the, you're looking down on that next generation that's that's a constant that's been there at least 800 years so there's no reason not to think that it actually goes back thousands of years where just people our age think that the next lot's like oh god they're just a hopeless bunch and yet they're all the genius the next lot of geniuses and brilliant people who are gonna you know transform the world probably for the worse again a little bit but you know it's I think it's just that arc. I think, yeah, I'm trying to resist be, being that sort of, <laughs> yeah, just being kind of judging. I, I mean, I I haven't been able to listen to Radio 1 or in the, it's the BBC channel which has got the kind of pop music on it. It literally just sounds like a noise to me and it has done for the last probably 10 years. I cannot understand this. I, I did used to listen to it years ago, but I think that's just, yeah, it's just getting older and... um it's, it's, I'm sure it's not, it does seem worse. It does seem like crap to me, but I think that's me, <laughs> not it. I'm, I'm sure it's brilliant and
1: exciting to the right people. <laughs> that's right. Yeah. Well, this has really been great, Alex, and I do really appreciate your time again. You know, that's it's, really. when I talked to Aid. this was a thing we talked about, you know, it's, this is the thing that film photography has done with me allowed me to to build these friendships you know virtually over over vast differences and that's been a wonderful thing just really appreciate you taking the time to add to that
0: yeah no it's an absolute pleasure you know delighted to be asked to do it yeah when you asked I did think like oh god I don't like I have no idea what I'd say I kind of couldn't (laughs) think how they were related or but of course everything is connected because it's all it's all you, isn't it, that likes all these things? So obviously, it's all connected. <laughs> Fundamentally, you know, it's all appealing to the same brain. So
1: that's right. That's right. Yeah. So, how can people get in touch and follow along and see some of these Roloflex pictures?
0: Uh, like under Greeny Blur on Instagram and Twitter and things. So I think if you just type that in anywhere, it'll it'll find me. Oh. So, or the, a certain weight wash podcast <laughs> don't give up on it don't cancel the
1: uh, subscription i'm sure but something will happen there <laughs> absolutely absolutely i'll go refresh my feed after we get off the call <laughs> <laughs> but no thanks so much again alex i really do appreciate it no it really is a pleasure it's lovely to talk to you Thanks again to Alex Purcell for joining me to share his perspectives on music and photography. Do give him a follow at Grainy Blur and also be on the lookout for potential new episodes from him and Neil Piper on the Soot and Whitewash podcast. Thanks as always to Mike Gutterman for our theme song, Timeless. Check out Mike's Bandcamp page at MikeGutterman.Bandcamp.com for some of the dulcet tones he makes available for content creators. If you'd like to get in touch with the Sunny 16 team, you can do so at sunny16presents at gmail.com. And as John Whitmore might say, always try and be a decent human being.